Welcome to the Monocle Podcast. We are an independent management consulting firm, and in this podcast, we discuss our latest insights and opinions to help you achieve exceptional performance in banking and insurance together. So welcome everyone to the Monocle Podcast. I'm Guy Wilding, Monocle's research manager based in Johannesburg. And on today's episode, we're joined by two of our directors, uh, Rita Dupria, our consulting director for our UK business and Jan Ellers for our South African business to discuss finance and risk integration within financial services. Um, now, finance and risk integration is a concept that's been around for years, not only because of the, the data and the reporting efficiency that it can create, but it's also been around for so long because of just how tricky um, and complex it is to implement effectively. So Rita and Jan, it's great to have you two on the podcast and to have our first uh, roundtable discussion. So welcome. Thank you very much, Guy. It's uh, quite exciting to be part of a, a discussion that deals with a problem that so many banks are experiencing internationally these days. Yeah, thanks, Guy, for that introduction. Looking forward to the conversation. So I think just to kick us off, you know, it's, it's no secret that banks deal with a huge amount of data um, and it's obviously become a major challenge. And we're talking about finance and risk. So those teams especially are going through the process of reconciling massive amounts of data uh, reporting and, and then there's the management of that data that comes with it. So um, Rita, I think we'll kick off with you on this. What are some of the main principles or themes around risk and finance integration and why do organizations uh, need to pursue integration in the first place? So I think if we start off, Guy, we need to think about why do we actually have this problem, right? Risk and finance processes traditionally have been designed quite separately. There's many reasons for that. It's, it's flexibility or one of the reasons you get quite often is the fact that even though they have similar data requirements, they often need data at different levels of granularity. And because these risk processes have been designed so separately, it is now a struggle to actually make sure that the data aligns. From a, a risk management perspective, your risk management information, whether it's for active risk management or whether it is for regulatory reporting, really only makes sense if you can prove that the information that you're looking at reflects your actual positions that you hold as a bank. And that's recorded on the finance side of things. So it is fundamentally important for these things to speak to each other and to actually have the same values, the same amounts in order for you to advise on decision-making, to do your regulatory reporting and to have a good understanding of, of the risk position for your bank. In addition, everybody knows about BCBS 239. So the pressure from the regulator is also coming in to make sure that there is more alignment between risk and finance processes, right? So it is going to become more and more important. And I think if you do this the right way, you can give your organization such a competitive advantage in terms of efficient processing and, and just ensuring that what you're looking at and what you're basing your decision making on is actually a true reflection of your situation. At the end of the day, what you report to your regulator, um, your reserve bank, uh, needs to align to what you report on your financial statements to all your different stakeholders. And this process is, of course, quite a difficult process. Like Rita mentioned, it's two entirely different processes, your finance world and your risk world, if you look at your treasury space. One of the challenges that people face is that this is often such a big, scary task. People think that they have to know all of their requirements up front. They have to design this data store that will never, ever change in its life. And that's often not the case. This is not supposed to be a daunting undertaking. This is supposed to be the creation of an environment that adapts to change, that enables you to do your reporting. It gives you customer valuation information and it, it sets you up for 
a future where we do know regulatory reports change, we do know information reports change, and, and we also have an understanding that the growth in data assets in the financial organization is in, insane, right? So what you want to get to is to just design something that can actually adapt to that change, and that doesn't mean a big project that only delivers 10 years after you started. So, yes, I mean, Rita, I agree entirely with you. I think the, the thing is why people see it as such a big daunting task is that you have different areas with different um, reporting requirements and different key metrics that they need to report on. And they sort of see that their responsibility and their requirements on a daily basis is so different to that of Treasury. And in actual fact, it isn't. And if everybody understands what is the ultimate goal. There is some good alignment that can be created between the different areas. And just to add to that, Jan, fundamentally, even though the, the reporting requirements are different, the metrics that we're actually reporting on is different. The data that feeds into that, the, the most granular level accounting data that feeds into that is actually the same. And once the guys get it right to actually use the same sources, the same information, the process will just be so much more efficient. So a common pain point, and let's talk about the finance teams for now, is the demand and challenge of the month end close process. And it's almost like uh, the culmination of all the poor data processes upstream start to come out of the woodwork when it gets to month end. And, and Jan, I'll come to you on this because I've, I've heard you speak about this before. What are some of the tactical fixes that finance and the organization in general are applying across their month end process? Um, and how does FRI look to solve some of these issues? If we look at most of our clients, the finance and risk space still remains sort of segregated in a sense that the finance will first complete all their um, tasks from a reconciliation point back to source. And once the general ledger has closed, then only the risk portion kicks off, where they basically then try to reconcile their data back to the finance data. And probably the big reason for that is this: um, the way the data gets integrated from source into the finance process is entirely different to the way the data gets processed from source into the treasury space. Now, I think a big reason for that is the manner in what is the final requirements we previously mentioned. So from a risk perspective, you need data at, at mostly at account level. Whereas within the finance space, you're sort of looking at data on an event level to be able to classify it correctly from an accounting standards point of view. And the problem is now is that because these duties are so segregated between the different areas. You have risk scrambling in the end of the month via their own manual processes to make sure that they can reconcile back to finance. And a big problem is, is of course, your risk data, as I mentioned, well, is on an account level and doesn't contain necessarily the parameters that is within the finance space, such as your GLs and cost centers, because that is on a more granular level. And that causes quite a lot of effort and also a lot of adjustments that is needed to get it to that um, same level and sort of to reconcile on a ballpark figure. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the scramble around a month-end process, and I think that's so important to understand, right? I think we've all been in a situation where you're trying to deal either with a finance team or a risk team, and you, you need to ask them some questions, and they tell you, between workday 1 and 10, I am not reachable. Because of the workday pressures that these guys have, they will often find that it is so much easier and quicker to make adjustments in their own siloed process because if you have to channel those adjustments way up to source the way we all know that it has to be done, it's just going to take too long. And they, they're not going to get to a point where they can actually report and, and where the information is correct. Now, the problem you sit with is once people start doing that, they start adjusting the same data but in different ways in different processes. 
which just exponentially increases this reconciliation, frustration uh, process that we sit with at the end of a month end. And we end up sitting with resources doing 90% of their time they spent on doing reconciliations, on investigating differences. Some of these differences are very valid. Some of those differences have to be there as a result of interpretation, but they don't have the time to do analysis on the data to understand what are the important decisions that have to be made from a business perspective? Because 90% of their time, they're just sitting there explaining why what I look at on my balance sheet differs to what I look at from my risk reports. So Ritha, you mentioned about adjustments. Can you just explain how finance and risk integration solves for, for that adjustment issue? First of all, adjustments is something that everybody wants to get away from, right? But whenever you speak to finance and risk people, you will hear that they cannot get away from an adjustments process entirely. There's always a need to be able to adapt their data to on the fly, make sure that the data reflects the true situation because of issues at source. So I think the key thing is not to try and fight it. I think we need to accept the fact that there will always be an element of adjustments that is required, but it is the way in which we make those adjustments that's important. If you have an integrated architecture, so let's assume something like an industry code as an example, right? Industry codes get used across different risk disciplines in different ways to determine what industry something has to be reported on or what asset class it will fall into. And let's say that we have a source that provides us with an incorrect asset class. One process might change that to become a financial institution because it's the financial services arm of a manufacturing company. And another process might change that to become a manufacturing company. If we could align those, right? So if we have one environment for adjustments, if we say we centralize those adjustments and we all agree on the adjustments and what needs to happen, then we can make sure we all apply it consistently throughout the process. And then the most fundamental thing is that adjustment has to feed back to source. Nobody wants to do the same thing every single month. Once we pick up that adjustments are required and they can't be made in time for the workday schedule to be completed, we need to have a process around that to say, okay, cool, we need to now feed this adjustment back to my source system and we need to make sure that that adjustment is actually recorded in the right way and that my data coming from the golden source is correct so that I don't have to keep doing this over and over again. And that also helps me to improve the quality and the accuracy of my data. I think a big theme that's coming out over the last couple of questions is, and you guys' answers, is the need for effective data governance. Um, And we've seen in South Africa, we've gone through the BCBS 239 compliance exercise. It's been a particularly difficult task of assigning data ownership, especially for metrics like uh, risk-weighted assets or your IFRS 9 reporting between risk and finance. So, Jan, maybe we can start with you on this question. What's the benefit specifically from holding functions responsible for their data? And why is it such a, a difficult task between finance and risk? Well, I actually want to take a different angle to that. And and I, I want to rather say it's more of understanding who's responsible for what data and, and also having that understanding across the bank. So in terms of each area to publish what they own and to take full ownership of that data. So for instance, like the account balance, if finance takes ownership of that value and that value is then reutilized within a risk environment, If there's any questions raised about the amount, it can be pointed back to the finance area, which have a clear understanding of why that amount is what it is, and if it was adjusted, why it was adjusted. So that will make the process much easier. Also, the whole fact of publish what you own will assist all downstream areas which utilize the data for various different requirements, will put more integrity into the data. 
because they know that that amount is the same amount that's in finance and that is the same amount that's used in anti-money laundering or utilized within the quantitative analytics environment or utilized within the credit risk environment or utilized within the asset liability management environment. If you have that one figure that is owned by one area, it makes it much easier to ensure the accuracy thereof. That's such an important point, right? Because I often find that there's a bit of a blurry line between data ownership and where the data user starts. Now, if you're taking the data and you're applying business rules or logic to that data to make it into something new, then you become the owner, right? But sometimes we we try and shift that ownership up the chain and then it becomes difficult. Then people say, but I don't know how you went from getting an account balance from finance to an RWA and then who owns the RWA number, right? The moment that you add your own data or your own logic or your own business rules, you then become responsible for that. The inputs into your data might not be your responsibility. That account balance that you use to derive the RWA, yes, that's a finance responsibility. But the application of the rule, the adding of the various metrics that you get from a risk perspective, that then becomes your ownership. You've created that data and you must own it and be responsible for it. And I think the starting point with something like this is to sit down and understand what is all the requirements across the board. Who owns what? Who will take ownership of that data? And who publishes that data? We mentioned the, the ownership of RWAs. Um, and we know that it's a, a difficult topic when it comes to finance and risk integration. Uh, Rita, maybe you can give us um, your view on the controversy behind the ownership of that number. Oh, wow, Guy, you're really putting me on the spot now. RWA is always a a tricky concept when it comes to determining data ownership. Many of the regulatory reporting processes are obviously owned from a finance perspective, even though their numbers are produced by risk. Now, if you think about RWA, what makes it so complicated is the fact that the basic driver in your RWA number is a finance number. It's your exposure or your balance sheet amount or the value of your actual account. But then in order to get to that ultimate RWA answer, you have to add values that are then owned from a risk perspective. So your PDs, your LGDs, your EADs, which all culminate in then producing an answer, which is RWA. It's a very difficult one to take a stance on. And I think each organization tends to determine what works for them from an ownership perspective. But that is definitely one of the numbers that has inputs from both the finance and the risk disciplines. And I think there has to be collaborative effort to get to that final answer. You, you can't make just one team responsible for getting that. What we're trying to get to is just the complexities in terms of taking ownership of data and to understand where it lies. And I think through these conversations, you can also see it's very intertwined between finance and risk. And that's why it's so important that the two areas come together and, and, and synchronize in terms of efforts such as reconciliation and sourcing data. So both of you guys have been involved in finance and risk integration initiatives across our banking clients, and we know that they're complex and they're effort-intensive engagements, but these are not projects that they haven't done in the past. What are some of the things that are holding back these integration programs from succeeding and providing long-term benefit for the banks? Guy, that is such a good question. So I think a lot of these programs suffer from initially business buy-in. When you start this sort of journey, people have an expectation that this is such a daunting task. And because it is so daunting and so tricky, they're expecting projects that last for years and years. And if you don't have proper business buy-in right up front and people who are coming to the party and who are bringing their requirements and their expertise and their institutional knowledge to help you solve this problem, 
then you're not really going to actually get off the mark. Yeah, and I'm not sure if you've experienced the same. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Rita. I think the first thing is it is quite a, a daunting task looking at it from, I mean, it's, it's, it's across your bank, it's across all your systems. So it's quite massive. And I think that's something that adds to it is it's like what we said earlier on is finance has its responsibilities, what they need to report on every month. And the same for risk. They have their regulatory reporting, which they need to deliver every single month. And it doesn't stop, right? That is business as usual. And with this business as usual, you have new products that's coming on. You have new regulations. So I think it's various concepts. And, and that's where I agree with you. What it, it's required for the different areas to come together and to see the overall benefit that this will gain in, within the bank. And then also to see that it's actually not a daunting task if you break it up in small little chunks. And I think, Jan, what you've just said, people are busy, right? Their day jobs make them busy enough as it is. You cannot start a journey like that with side of the desktop work. There has to be a dedicated team. There have to be focused people who, who spend their days doing just this, not my normal regulatory reporting and this kind of as an afterthought, because then you're never actually going to get off the ground. So I think the one thing that you just said is it, it's very important to get that buy-in from all different areas within the bank. But imagine if you can optimize a process. Imagine you can align these duplication of tasks and you have one person doing the reconciliation. Now all of a sudden you have another person who have more time. And with that time, they can deliver more accurate numbers. They can optimize capital. They can find different ways of, of reporting the numbers. I think the one thing we should remember is once we have this buy-in from the stakeholders and once they do get excited, we can't make promises that will only deliver in three or five years, right? So in order for these projects to succeed, it is really important that we make sure we have smaller bite-sized chunks that actually enable us to deliver business benefit a lot sooner. Because once the business starts seeing this benefit, then they get more excited. And I mean, the way to, to go about it, there's, there's numerous ways of doing it. You can do it on product base. It's a do product by product or do system by system basis. And the thing is exactly what, what you're saying, Rieta, is once you have one um, system in, then the, the more senior stakeholders within the bank can see the benefit in it in terms of how people have more time to ensure that their um, information is more accurate or have more time to optimize their specific processes. Exactly, Jan. And I think the key thing is you can't cut it up without knowing the challenges that the organization faces, right? So so you need to go in and understand what are the biggest pain points? What are the quick wins? What are the, the low-hanging fruits that we can tick off for you very quickly? And 90% of the time, these small wins actually create so much more confidence and excitement about a project than the big timelines and the big promises that we that we never end up getting to. Exactly. Those small t tweaks can deliver results for a specific system much quicker. And then once you get this recipe of getting one system in and the next and the next, it, it won't be as daunting to then tackle the legacy systems or implementing a new regulation while you're busy doing this. While you're speaking about legacy systems, Jan, it, it reminds me of another issue that I've experienced in some of these projects, which is people tend to think technology will solve the problem. They tend to think that buying something big and fancy um, and implementing it, whether it's a data lake or something new, that will solve the problem. And I think we need to remind ourselves that the problem is not a technology problem. The problem is around processes and data um, and understanding the integration points around these, right? So we shouldn't think that 
technology is the answer. Technology is definitely an enabler, right? But ultimately, the effort has to be put in by the dedicated teams to understand those processes, to understand the data, and to ultimately bring these things together. At, at Monaco, we have expertise in both finance, risk, and regulation, as well as business change. How have we assisted our clients in the past, and how can Monaco assist banks and insurers um, as they continue to struggle with the challenges that we've been discussing? Guy, with these programs being so big and extensive, uh, Monocle has been privileged to have experience over a variety of aspects of them. We've had more than 20 years worth of experience on the ground with financial institutions in South Africa and internationally across concepts such as the change management, the selection of the technology to facilitate the process, the design of the data architecture to fit with your organization, the data models, the processes around that, all the way down to ensuring the data mappings from your source to target are done and the business rule definition is done, also assisting with the control frameworks and the reports coming out of those control frameworks. Yeah, so like we mentioned at the beginning, um, effective integration is going to require a large amount of effort um, and technical expertise. But like you guys were saying, the results are exciting adds so much value, not just to the business, but to the people that are working in finance and risk. So this will definitely be a, a topic that we're going to keep track of from the podcast perspective. So thanks, Rita and Jan, for coming on the podcast. It's been great to have both of you on for a roundtable discussion. Thanks, Guy, for having us. It's been such a fun afternoon. It's such an interesting topic to be discussing, and it's, it's always nice to bounce ideas off Jan and to learn a little bit more from his experience. Yeah, thanks, Guy. It was, um, I love this topic. There's a lot of tangible benefit to a bank looking into this. Thanks. For our listeners who would like to learn more about what we do at Monocle and how we support our clients with their finance and risk integration initiatives, Monocle is hosting a webinar on the topic in association with Marcus Evans at 10 a.m. for our UK audience and 11 a.m. for our European and South African audiences on the 28th of October. Keep an eye out on our LinkedIn page for further details. Otherwise, you can visit our website to read more about our core expertise and view our full range of Insights and Monocle podcasts. Similarly, if you'd like to contact us, you can find all our details on our website for both our European and South African practices. Thanks again, Rita and Jan, and to our listeners, thank you for listening. Visit monocle.co.za or co.uk to subscribe for updates. From Johannesburg to London, Cape Town to Amsterdam, Monocle. We design change.